Welcome to another edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. Bubba and I are back from vacation. Uh, we're well rested, uh, and uh, we're excited to talk to our guest today, Mike Shelby. Uh, Bubba, he's the CEO and founder of what we're going to, first of all, ask, what is this? Forward Observer. Forward uh, Observer. Forward. I, I'm observing Forward. Uh, the website is forwardobserver.com if you want to find out more about uh, the organization. It's an intelligence uh, service company specializing in threat intelligence, You know, some trend analysis, conflict monitoring, and applied intelligence training. Now, what does all that mean? That's why we got to have Mike. Uh, so, Mike, welcome to Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. How are you, buddy? Hey, I'm doing great. Uh, glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. So, Mike, tell us what Forward Observer is all about. Well, we are, in in essence, pr- trying to predict the future, looking looking at current events, anticipating things that could happen in the future, identifying what's more likely to happen and what's less likely to happen, and then provide providing those findings to our subscribers so that they can be better prepared for the future, which is, uh, I mean, already conditions are deteriorating, and I think this decade is going to get much worse. It'll eventually get better, but it's going to get a lot worse first. So you do think that you, that it will get better? That that that's that's an interesting concept. So you you think there's definitely we're we're moving in. We're going to talk about this this phrase that I was talking to Bubba about on the big show that I watched some of your other interviews uh, uh, talking about low uh, intensity conflict. But so you do think that there is a a a a, a storm coming. But you think the country will will weather the storm? We are whatever happens to the United States. Uh, I can't say for sure, but we some people are going to still live here. Yeah. And we're talking about historical cycles. There's there's human nature, and they human nature tends to be cyclical. And so yes, in a decade or maybe a generation, I think things will get much better. Until then, I think things will get worse. So you're in the prediction business. Tell us why you're doing this. I mean, who uses your service and what do they accomplish with that kind of information? We have financial institutions, professional services, uh, some universities. I, I, I tell you, mainly it's just concerned citizens, people uh, f- from all walks of life who, who look at what's happened for the past few years and they say, I don't like what I see and I'm concerned that things will get worse. And they come to us because we in some instances, are very very accurately able to piece together what the future will look like, or at least what we think it will look like. And it's all about anticipating future events and really having accurate expectations. And once you have those accurate expectations, you can make changes in your life to anticipate those, anticipate new conditions and be better prepared for your family, for your business, for your community. And that is that is the core. You, the core service uh, that we provide is uh, being able to clearly anticipate what the future is going to look like. So are, are we talking financial stock market? Are we talking geopolitical? Are we talking scientific breakthroughs? What all, how, how broad a net do you guys cast? We focus on political, social, and, and economic instability first. We also have analysts who look at, at geopolitical conflict, like what's, what's happening now in, between Russia and Ukraine, what's going to happen with China. Well, I should say what already is happening with China. 
domestically, though, we look at food, especially food supply and agriculture, we look at energy, and then uh, economic, financial, and monetary conditions. So when, when, when you guys you know, started putting this together, I, I mean, I, I've looked at your bio, you, your former military, uh, a lot of the people that work with Forward Observer, it says here, are military veterans. Uh, so, uh, you, you tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, I, I see that intelligence was part of your background. Uh, you were a contractor, you were a soldier. Um, t- tell us about your background. Like certainly I understand I'm starting to realize the service you guys want to provide, but, but what is in the resume that means that you guys are of value? I mean, things that, that, you know, uh, that you observed yourself. Sure. Well, you know, I, I grew up in, in Birmingham or the Birmingham area, and I went to school at the University of Alabama for a short period of time. I dropped out of college and enlisted in 2004 and had a started my career in intelligence. I spent three years in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I got out in 2012 out of contracting, um, overseas contracting, because I, I did not like where the country was headed. And I had a lot of apprehensions about what was happening in the, in the intelligence community and what we're trying to do, especially in, in Afghanistan still at that time. And so a few years later, I started Ford Observer because people would come to me with questions. They'd be like, oh, Mike, what's your opinion on this? Or, you know, oh, is Obama really doing this? And there was a lot of really bad information out there. And people were, I found, needlessly concerned about very low likelihood events. And I said, you know, I'm an intel analyst. Let, let's sit down and start working these problems out. And that led to starting Forward Observer because I, I found that, A, there's a great need for people to – intelligence analysis is very difficult. Clear thinking is very difficult because not only is it an input problem, we have to make sure we're looking at accurate information. It's also an output problem, and humans believe what they want to believe is true. This is why misinformation is a very bad problem. And then there's also disinformation which is people publishing information that is untrue, but they want it to look true and they're doing it deliberately. And so we at Ford Observer, we act like a filter for that. So we make sure that we have the highest quality information coming in. And then our guys are also trained. So I, I'm a former Intel analyst. Dustin is a former psychological operations guy. I've uh, spent a lot of time in Europe and he's our Russian NATO analyst. Max is a retired Lieutenant Colonel. Uh, from the Marine Corps. He went on and worked 10 years at the agency. And that uh, that's the core of our team. And, and we're growing very rapidly. So we're always adding guys. But, you know, I, I'm always looking for to add people to our team who are hungry. You know, our guys are 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 bright. They're they have exceptional experience and they're hungry. They want to look at these problems and, and understand them at the granular level and then be able to for our subscribers and anticipate what's going to happen in the future. And that's, that is the core of what we do. And the day we stop doing that, we'll no longer exist. We'll, we'll just be another YouTube channel. We'll be another news outlet uh, when we stop doing that. Mike, uh, you said in 2012, you left over concerns where the country was headed. Can you expand on that a little bit? Tell us, tell us what you were seeing that struck a nerve with you. Well, the expansion of government authority under the Obama administration clearly you know, post-2008, uh, money printing, the United States is abusing and has continued to abuse its power. Uh, the, 
this Federal Reserve specifically, but with tacit approval from Congress and the political establishment. And, you know, people were concerned about hyperinflation and, and gun confiscation. And, uh, you know, I and even now, some things that were happening in the intelligence community, specifically with what was happening in Afghanistan. I, my first tour to Afghanistan was 2006. I was in E4, which is junior enlisted, a nobody. And I looked at the map of Afghanistan. I looked at what was going on. I said, there's, there's no way we're going to win here with what we're trying to do. And my last, I left Afghanistan, my last tour in 2012, with coming away with that same conclusion. And I just said, why, how are we spending so much money? How is the military industrial complex getting so large? Because what ends up happening, things that we pioneered in Iraq and Afghanistan, specifically on the intelligence side, are being used at home. And they tend to be used. Uh, and I, so I saw what was going on. I just said, I, I can't be a part of this. And I, I you know, really, I, I got into preparedness because of that, because I, I'm just very, I still am very concerned about what's going to happen to this country this decade. Let me let me pin you down on that a little bit more. Um, you said we could not win that war the way we were going about it. Can you can you can you break that down a little more? Yeah, insurgency. First and foremost, insurgency is a a political fight. It's it's a mental, psychological, political fight. First and foremost, you're fighting for the legitimacy of the government, and in Afghanistan, the Taliban was countering that by trying to prove that they were the legitimate government. The problem is, this is what happens when the Pentagon gets involved in anything. The Pentagon's really good at like killing people, right? I mean, that's that's the chief job of, of the military is de- defense, which means killing the enemy. And when you're a hammer, everything you look at is a nail. You, you cannot win insurgencies. You cannot win low-intensity conflict through conventional military efforts. And unfortunately, that's exactly what we did. And that's how the Pentagon tried to win in Afghanistan. And I actually came away with the opinion that there are a lot of people who aren't actually trying to win in Afghanistan. They're just trying to get the government to spend more money, to buy more gear, to deploy more troops, to have get more contracts so that they can make more money. And I think Afghanistan was an enti- a money sink because of that, because people saw dollar signs instead of the light at the end of the tunnel, which is what we're all promised. Yeah, so we'll come back. I want to continue that. And, and th- these have been concerns that we've, we've talked about before, that if the military is going to be called into action, and you know, uh, Rush Limbaugh was once famous for saying the military's role is to kill people and break things, and when we use them in different ways other than that, yeah. it turns out to be uh, a disaster, and it sounds like that you experienced some of that firsthand. We'll jump more into our discussion with Mike Shelby, CEO and founder of Forward Observer, when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast continues. This is the Rick and Bubba Show. Watch more at blazetv.com slash Rick and Bubba. Our guest today on Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, is Mike Shelby. Uh, he has served our country, and Mike, thank you uh, for that as a soldier, an intelligence, um, uh, a contractor. Uh, and then uh, after his experiences and uh, and learning, uh, you know, kind of how the country was beginning to operate, mainly during the Obama years, he was very concerned about the future uh, of the country, uh, and then began to create what is now known as Forward Observer. 
uh, and we're trying to find out more about that. I noticed that you did go into the discussion of this phrase, low-intensity conflict. Tell us what you mean by that. Low-intensity conflict is a military doctrine, and it describes conflict that's below the threshold of conventional war. So we're not talking about tanks and bombers, but it exists above routine peaceful competition. And, you know, this is the gray zone where we're not at war, but we're certainly not at peace. And you look, going back to 2008 was, I think, probably the the beginning of low-intensity conflict, of of this particular low-intensity conflict. And then you get to 2016 with the Trump campaign and and the uh, Antifa movement. And then into 2020 with the George Floyd riot, that's all conflict. That is all. I actually think 2020 was an attempted popular revolution and for a lot of reasons. But the goal of low intensity conflict is to exercise your political will to win a a conflict without fighting, without pushing it over into that conventional phase or that conventional threshold where the military then gets involved. So let me... um... Let me ask you this, too, because you'd, you'd use the term, and we've heard it before, the military-industrial complex. Um, General Eisenhower, President Eisenhower, warned us about that, which always seemed a little strange coming from someone who had been <laughs> in charge of, of a big military operation. Right. And we all, you know, most everybody I know, uh, Mike, supports our military, our guys, uh, the girls, everyone who's out there fighting, putting their life on the line. And they have to have very expensive toys uh, to do that. And, you know, the planes, I mean, we see the price tags. They're multi, multi-million dollars apiece. Aircraft carriers, uh, all the smart weaponry we have now, obviously tools to, to you know, m- means to an end. But there's a lot of cost in that. There's a lot of uh, business and profiting in that. Where where do you draw the line between, you know, stuff we need and people are abusing the system? It, it, that's that's kind of a big gray area, isn't it? It is. You know, actually, I think the Chinese probably have the best take on this. In in 1999, they two People's Liberation Army colonels published this fairly uh, well known document called uh, Unrestricted Warfare. And one of the points they made in Unrestricted Warfare is that the United States is following in the same footsteps as the Soviet Union, and that we are we are always trying to push the the edge of, of military technology. And the problem is that is endless. This is a problem we experienced in Afghanistan. You can have the most advanced jet fighter in the world. It is virtually useless against a network of flip-flop wearing Taliban. And so, you know, America is always trying to prepare for that high-end fight, high-end conventional fight. And we, um, that's just, it has been, uh, that fight has been unlikely. So, you know, where do you draw the line? I I don't know that, you know, that's, that's probably a a better question for someone on the National Security Council or, uh, I, I don't know where that line is, but um, ultimately, I can tell you where the, the Chinese, these two Chinese colonels in unrestricted warfare came to the conclusion that the Soviet Union spent itself into collapse, trying to keep pace with the United States. And they, they imply that the United States is also going to spend itself into collapse 
trying to put keep pushing that envelope of uh, of military capability that in in most of the fights we've had is just not useful. It's it's money we spend right. that really. And, and to some degree, the argument, I've heard it be made about our nuclear arsenal, of course we want enough to be a massive deterrent, but is there a point where you just can't blow up the world any more times? Is that, is that wasted money on a defense? I don't, in, in short, I don't know. You know, the, I think probably the best spending that the United States can, can do is, is on a Navy. You, we don't actually need force projection to, unless we want to go around the world and get into these fights with these other countries. Um, you know, if we go back to the kind of the vision of our founders where we don't get entangled in all these very complex geopolitical battles and we don't, we don't begin wars of choice overseas, we actually don't need a large military. We just need a very good Navy uh, to, to defect or excuse me, to, uh, to defend our, our, our continent. Uh, the problem is we have so many interests abroad and we got military bases all around the world. So, uh, you know, I'm sure folks at the Pentagon think they, they need, they need to have that force projection to protect military interests. And, and, and this not, is not even about military interests. It's really about protecting the globe, the quote unquote rules-based international order. And that's, that's what they're trying to defend right now. Uh, so let me, let me kind of stay down this line because, uh, you know, some of our forefathers early on were very much against uh, military alliances because they saw that of you have to spill American blood to defend somebody else. And, and really, we're in the most progressive, largest military uh, defense arrangement we could be in with NATO because now we have NATO countries that uh, literally are going to be on the border with Russia that we will be obligated to defend, uh, which kind of spills me into this. The Ukrainian-Russian conflict has been um, very much in the headlines and causing a lot of problems uh, all across the board. Did And I'm, I'm just playing devil's advocate here a little bit. Did our expansion of NATO to the east, did it help to bring this on? Uh, or are we just dealing with a madman in Russia? Why not both? <laughs> you know, I, I this, this is a very controversial take, but, you know, my take is we go back to the, the 1990s where you have this agreement between Bill Clinton and between the United States and Russia, a handshake agreement that NATO expansion would stop because the Soviet Union by then was was had collapsed. And instead, what you have is NATO adding, I believe it's 14 countries since then. And and then we slow walk this thing. Oh, yeah, you maybe Ukraine will join NATO. Maybe we'll get Georgia, too, and, and some other countries. And if you're Vladimir Putin, it, and again, I I think he's a madman, but he I think he's a very smart madman. And that's the most dangerous when you're, you know, a, a dumb madman is, is not as big of a problem as a smart madman. And so if you're looking at that and you're seeing NATO expansion and you have to know that NATO wants a regime change in Russia, NATO wants it more than they ever have. And you say, well, we can stop Ukraine from joining NATO if we move now. If NATO, if Ukraine joins NATO, then we may have to go to war with all of NATO to to maintain this buffer space, which they not only do they look at Ukraine as 
as a, a, a historical part of the, the Russian Empire, the Russian Federation, but it's also a buffer space separating uh, part of these NATO countries from Russia. And the ironic thing is Vladimir Putin, by invading Ukraine, has again expanded NATO. So yeah. now he, it's just, right opposite what yeah. he really wanted. Right. So um, do you, even though we have a handshake agreement, um, and and I guess that's historically accurate. I've heard it many times. I, I don't know personally, but um, when you have a country, though, that is independent, that is free, and they want to join the alliance, say a Poland, uh, who has had problems with people overrunning them before, which is wise. I would want a bigger brother uh, to bring to the fight. Um, and they, they want to come in, and they have a strategic position in the world. Um, why should we tell them they can't play? Uh, I'm going to flip the table on you. Sure. Yeah, it's not my position to say Ukraine can't join NATO, but NATO has some specific requirements. And part of Ukraine, one part of Ukraine's problem is that they're way far too corrupt to be able to join NATO. I mean, they're even more corrupt than NATO. So, you know, that, that was one thing that the Ukrainians were working on. We, we've, we've had so many programs sending U.S. personnel over to Ukraine to help reform their police, to help reform and, and build a rule of law institution there. And they have they failed. And so Ukraine didn't have didn't meet their requirements to join NATO. And maybe they never maybe they never will. And so, you know, it's not me telling Ukraine they can't join NATO. It's, no, it's NATO saying Ukraine can't join. But the problem is they kept entertaining this. And, you know, I, just as a realist, anytime you're dealing with anytime you're dealing with with another country that is as potent as Russia, even though I think their military has stumbled in Ukraine, uh, Russia, I think, still a very potent uh, adversary. And, you know, you have to be a realist about this. And I, I'm almost I would have to. It's it's beyond comprehension that that Western leaders um, thought that they could continue slow walk NATO accession and have Vladimir Putin not do anything about it. Well, let's take Ukraine out of the equations. Say Poland. Were we wrong to go in and and help them out? Uh, Like I say, they've they've been overrun a couple of times from both directions uh, and and they wanted a big brother in it. Were, Were we wrong to let them in? Yeah, look, I, I'm not here to defend or advocate NATO, uh, you know, or defend them on, on their behalf. Yeah, and I'm, I'm just trying to kind you of know, pick was, your brain on it, yeah. Time. yeah. You know, when po- when Poland joined NATO, it was a different time. I mean, they, they joined, uh, po- you know, Poland joined because, yeah, they did not want to become, uh, become a, a Soviet satellite state again. And I certainly understand that. So, you know, it's... I, this is it's not really my my battle or, or fight to so sorry i i can't an, do a better job of answering the question no that's fine no it's it's, it's it, and that yeah, we're, yeah we're, we're just picking your brain because these are discussions we've had on the show before and you're right it it's almost like um you know uh, it, it's according what time in world history you're in uh on what seems like a good idea or a bad idea uh, and decisions are made uh, as uh, what's currently happening, and sometimes it's hard to forecast, which is what you guys are trying to do now, uh, what's coming. And we'll talk more about that uh, when we come back, when Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, continues. 
All right, so Bubba, you and I talking life insurance. Um, it it can get complicated. Uh, you know, there's there's all kinds of hey, I'm going to do this and and whole life that, and this might be a college fund, <laughs> and if you'll do this and move that, and this is over here in the market, and this here what when it when it gets down to it, what we really want from life insurance uh, is uh, for it to be life insurance, meaning, yeah, meaning yeah. that if if you and I die, how, how much money do our wives get, do, does our family get on our death term? And and latter really, really simplifies that issue. You're not going to believe what I'm about to say. If you're just wanting to try to look at $3 million in coverage or less, uh, we're talking 100% digital, no doctors, no needles, no paperwork, uh, just answer a few questions about your health in the application. Uh, all you need is a few minutes uh, and a phone, maybe a laptop to apply. Ladder's smart algorithms work in real time, so you'll find out if you're instantly approved. There, there's no hidden fees. You, you can cancel anytime you want to. You get a full refund if you change your mind in the first 30 days. Ladder policies are issued by insurers with long proven histories of paying claims. They have great reviews. They are rated A and A plus by AM Best. Now, if you want to look at what the customers are saying, which that's usually where I want to look, <laughs> 4.8 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot, uh, and they made Forbes Best Life Insurance 2021 list. Finally, since life insurance, and Bubba and I are hearing this loud and clear, costs you more as you age, Now's the time to get this crossed yeah. off the list. So, so <laughs> Please, ma- before you're 50. Yes, at ladderlife.com slash Rick Bubba. See if you can be instantly approved. That's L-A-D-D-E-R life.com slash Rick Bubba. One more time, ladderlife.com slash Rick Bubba. Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, we're talking to Mike Shelby, CEO and founder of Forward Observer. Now, this those who subscribe... Uh, there, he's got a, a group of guys there. They're trying to use their expertise to help. It's almost like Mike looking at what you guys do. Tell me if I'm oversimplifying this as a meteorologist tries to forecast the weather. Uh, you guys try to help those who subscribe, uh, see a forecast of things that are coming and, and how they should prepare is, is that oversimplifying it? We have a much better track record than meteorologists but yes very simply that's what we do yeah. well let's let's you mean the weather guess every day yeah i know i know that what happens around the world and we've discussed that in the first part here certainly affects what happens here at home uh but but here at home it, it's like bub and i have said on the show before and i want to get your feedback on this uh it seems that a lot of times our country seems to be very very concerned about things they shouldn't be concerned about but they're really paying no attention to the things they really should be concerned about. Um, yes or no? Do you agree or disagree with that statement? Absolutely, one hundred percent. So I t- agree. Yeah, give us some examples of, of like obviously it, this whole thing with the pandemic has been weird, and I'm and I'm not making light of it because I you and I, Bub and I both probably you too, Mike, have people that we know and people that we love. Uh, that either got really, really sick or, or, or died. But but we do know that in, in its current state, um, we, we seem to have treatments and we seem to have seen this get less and less severe. And even at its most severe, we were looking at a death rate of around 1%. Um, and, and it seemed that that just terrorized everyone. But then over here, 
we see a central government that is taking the Constitution and shredding it, printing money like a, a Saturday night drunk, uh, running <laughs> down the value uh, of our currency uh, and grabbing ground uh, that, the, that the Constitution does not allow while ignoring the, the responsibilities the Constitution uh, demanded that they do. That's an example. Is that sort of what you're saying as well? Yeah, I would even go far beyond that. You should. I think we should be concerned about what China is doing, especially this this new Cold War that's emerging. But even at a micro level, how many people have a fire extinguisher in their kitchen? You know, how many people have a a, a medical kit in their vehicle? You know, I they're just they're things that are are gonna. You're far more likely to you know to need a medical kit than you are to experience a nuclear war with with Russia, for instance. But but yeah, absolutely. You know, there, people get wound around the axles about different things. I, I I don't watch the news anymore because they talk about stuff and it's it's a big deal for for five and a half seconds. And the next day, it's like it never happened. So instead, what we try to do at Forward Observer is identify new data points that that build a broader picture. And once we understand what this, once we understand the strategic conditions, then we can start looking at okay, here's the global picture. Now, how does this affect the United States? And now, how does this affect the southeast and now how does this affect uh you know alabama or the birmingham area and now how does this affect you in your your home and your community yeah and because at the end of it all you go okay now in my everyday life what should i be looking at and and look bubba is is better at this than i am because i know that you guys talk about some of this preparing like for things like i have a food supply that is available if if we get down to to needing food, or I have, and there's a lot of companies. Are you canning peaches again? I have not. No, you know me. But but is this the kind of stuff that you you guys try to help with? Like you know, I know that, and I understand how this works. So don't think I don't. I'm not trying to get you to come on our show, our podcast, and give everybody the information, uh, and then they don't need to subscribe. You know, for, to get <laughs> stuff that you guys have. But there's got to be. You can share us share with us some things. Uh, and, uh, and so, you know, what are some things that you guys are seeing, uh, in, in the forecast that we, we should as Americans and, and Rick Burgess and Bill Bussey be concerned about? Yeah, I would say I, I'm, I'm pretty concerned about the, about food security. I, America produces a ton of food. No, I don't think anybody's going to starve in the United States. Right. However, I think food prices and some, shortages or if you want to call it product avail- availability i think will get worse when it, you know i live in central texas now so we are very close with the beef industry and one of the things that's happening right now on feedlots across the country is uh, steer that are being put on feedlots are getting lighter and this the share of the share of steer that are under 700 pounds is, is up like five percent over last year uh, the share of steer that are over 700 pounds is down 5%. So what's, you know, what that's telling me is ranchers are selling off their cattle at younger ages because they're reducing their herd populations because of drought and because of feed prices. And so the problem that's going to end up happening is when the cat, when the herd population for cattle shrinks, uh, it's eventually conditions are going to get better and ranchers are going to start rebuilding their populations. And so they're going to stop selling off female cattle and uh in a period of increased demand i think we're going to have beef shortages and and again it's not a it's not a people starve to death it's just it, it's going to be unavailable or a, a lot more expensive when this does happen 
And so, you know, another thing we're looking at, at uh, spring, you know, winter wheat right now is, uh, I want to say it's like, I forget the, the exact number, but it's uh, something like uh, 50 or 60% rated as, uh, as uh, poor. I, I forget what the exact rating is. Uh, it's slipping my mind, but you know, we're, we're looking at, at decreasing yields for wheat and corn, and that goes into food products uh, for, that many Americans eat. And so ultimately what we're looking at is a lot higher food prices, regardless of what inflation uh, does in general, we're going to have structural inflation on supply problems. And so I think food prices are headed a lot higher from here. You know, the one common thing in all of the things that we buy and consume mm-hmm. is fuel. And of course, we've seen a big spike in that. Um, how, how do you, how do you, how are you guys forecasting that uh, in the, you know, the next two to three years? Uh, is this going to continue to climb? Or are we going to hover where we are? Or do you see some relief out there? Well, if we do have a recession, then demand for oil should drop. You know, I, we look at for, we look at forecasts from major institutions. So you have some that say, oh, oil is going to is headed towards three hundred eighty dollars a barrel, worst case scenario. And then you have another one that just came out last week and said, well, uh, oil actually may be headed down to forty five dollars a barrel by the end of next year. And, you know, those low oil prices are predicated on decreased demand due to a recession. I would say much more important than where oil prices are going to be a year for, or two from now is right now we have a, we're at max refining capacity nationwide. Our oil refineries, which are mainly clustered around in the Gulf Coast and the East Coast, they're running at ninety to ninety four to ninety eight percent capacity. There's not there's really no room for them to increase capacity. Uh, also, distillate volumes and inventories are very low for the East Coast. You're probably one hurricane away from gas shortages on the East Coast, and it's hurricane season through what November. Yeah. So I, you know, that's another thing that that would be concerning me if I lived on the East Coast. Well, the the refining capability is has been an issue. Uh, yeah. We've talked about for for you know a long time. We haven't built a new refinery since I don't know the late seventies. And I think most of that is probably tied up with environmental protection issues. So, I mean, how do we how do we work around this? And of course, the current administration is pushing a real heavy green product <laughs> that it really appears we don't have the infrastructure to implement. If you could even do it, uh, would it make that big a difference on the world stage? Yeah, green energy is a pipe dream right now. Unless some new new technology is developed, that's funny pipe dream. That that, <laughs> that is funny. That's good. That's a good joke. Unintended. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, it's not just the oil refining capacity problem. It's not just an EPA problem. It's also a capital expenditure problem. These oil companies do not want to spend massive amounts of money building a new refinery or building new pipelines or increasing uh, capacity greatly when you have an administration that's dedicated to killing off oil and gas. And so that that's the big problem is that there there are no incentives for these oil companies to expand capacity because because it's just it's a they're not they're not going to make they're not going to be able to pay off they're not going to be able to make enough money off it to to pay for it so uh the, you know the thing on the on the green energy side is you've got to have batteries and right. batteries take massive amounts of metals and they're mined out of the earth using machines that use oil and gas. 
you're not going to have solar powered tractors ever, uh, at least, you know, for probably not in my lifetime. And even those tractors, they're made out of components that use oil and gas. So this whole thing about about, you know, oil and gas being phased out, uh, it's never going to happen. You have to have that stuff. And ultimately, what that means is we're going to be getting it from overseas if we're not getting it from here at home. Ultimately, also what this means is just higher prices for everything as as long as oil remains uh, cost of oil remains high. We'll come back. We'll do one final segment and wrap up this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast with our guest, Mike Shelby, when we continue. All right, Bubba, I know, and and there's been great response. Uh, Tommy John let us know that a lot of folks that uh, catch the big show and also Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, are responding. Uh, you know what I think? You know, a lot of times timing on marketing, you know, when, when as hot as it is, oh, buddy. most of the places that you go in this country right now. I could describe how hot it is, Rick, but I'm not. Right. And and what they're trying to do is saying, look, with Tommy John, when you're wearing their underwear, uh, it, it, you, you stay frosty where it counts. You know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, it, 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 you're cool. You feel fresher. Uh, you, you're not miserable. Uh, and let me tell you something. Being comfortable really does start with your underwear. It really does. Yeah, it, you you can look and have the latest fashion, but if your underwear is not doing you justice, no. you ain't happy. And you can do everything better. It's like the foundation. And and you know what? You don't just feel cooler. You actually are, uh, because they're 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 breathable, lightweight fabric, four times the stretch of competing brands, dozens of comfort innovations. Uh, they'll keep you looking and feeling cool all season long. If you're lounging around the house, you know, summertime fun, uh, it can be a Debbie Downer uh, if your underwear is not performing well in these conditions. And you're not going to be able to out Tommy John, Tommy John. Uh, so you need to get it from them. 17 million pairs sold. People love their Tommy John underwear and their loungewear, and we want you to save some money on it. So go to TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba right now for 20% off the first order. Uh, that's TommyJohn.com slash Rick Bubba for you to get 20% off from Tommy John's. Also, don't forget there's other details that you'll find right there on their site. So Rick and Bubba University, the podcast, uh, getting close to the end of another one. Interesting conversation. Mike Shelby is our guest, CEO and founder of Forward Observer. Uh, they they forecast things that are going on uh, based on what they're gathering from around the world and, and helping us as individuals uh, to prepare uh, for things like, let me tell you, this, is gonna, this price is going to go up. Supply is going to be a problem right here. Uh, be aware of this. And uh, we've been running some of these scenarios with Mike. Mike, I, I wanted to ask you uh, on, on the uh, on fuel. Even Elon Musk has said we're not ready to go to a hundred percent, you know, battery world because we don't have the batteries, we don't have the charging capacity, uh, we may not have the the grid capacity to charge all those batteries. But would it have been would it have been a, a if we were just absolutely had to move away? from oil and gas in its current form, would it have been a better jump to look at natural gas uh, vehicles powered with that or hydrogen as kind of a mid-step in that as opposed to we got to go all the way to the other side of the room and go battery? If you live in a, a place where you have natural gas resources, I think, yes, natural gas burns clean. It is, it's so abundant that they they burn it off in Texas all the time. I mean, you, you drive through South Texas and that's all you see is natural gas being, uh, you know, burn off on the top of these wells. I, I think so. I, I think that would be a, a better, 
a better idea. If you wanted to shift away from coal, you know, that's fine. Uh, you know, the, kind of the ironic thing about this is people want to demonize oil and gas, but yeah, natural gas and uh, is, is a lot cleaner than, than coal. And so when these countries, when the natural gas stops, when, uh, you know, when they don't have the money to, to move to green energy, what are they going to do? What's abundant almost all over the world, or at least most regions of the world? It's coal. And so they can they can demonize natural uh, you know oil and gas, but uh, the alternative is if it's not green energy, it's going to be a, a lot dirtier uh, environmental uh, conditions if you're if you're burning coal. How how are you guys on the climate change? Uh, do we really have a problem? And if it is changing, is it man made? How do, how do y'all? What's y'all's general feelings on that? There is not enough reliable data to be able to say for certain that X or Y is happening. That's my take. I do th- climate change. We we know sure, this. Sure. Uh, there's just not enough data out there. I, you know, a lot of these models. They, oh, well, look at the past 150 years of of recorded uh, recorded uh, temperature and, and weather patterns. And okay, now now they're going to extrapolate 30 years based off 150 years of data. That's malpractice. Uh, but that's exactly what they're doing. Uh, climates do change. I do think in some parts of the world, climate is changing. Uh, but I. I I doubt it's from human human activity. Yeah, we've we've said the same thing. All you have to do is look at the things we know in weather history, which you both have said is a small sample. But even from what we've seen is uh, that things have changed weather-wise long before the combustion engine uh, was ever invented. Uh, so, so one other thing, and we've only got about uh, about three minutes. Um, but when you guys are are looking, you know, forward on some things that that people should be prepared for um, you if we feel like we're living in a fake world right now uh, and and no one really knows what to believe um, and and usually the best way to find out what the truth is is to watch people's actions uh, but when, when we get to our currency the, of course the crypto it seems to have been do you guys have any faith in any in any of those types of currency at all I hold crypto full disclosure 99% of it I think are is a, is a scam. Uh, but yeah, there you know there are a handful of cryptocurrencies. The only way that, that cryptocurrencies or crypto assets, as we understand them today, uh, the only way that gets useful is if they're able to beat the central banks. And the central banks around the world, they're rolling out their their own digital currencies. So you know this is a this is centralized money versus decentralized money, and I, I don't know who is going to win. But the the only way that cryptocurrency, as we understand it, has a future is if central bank if it outstrips the power and influence of, of the central bank well it's been an interesting conversation mike and i, I know you guys um uh, there, there's a lot to learn let me give you the website one more time forwardobserver.com if, if you go there you can find all the information about what uh, what they do uh with forward observer and also you guys have a early warning podcast isn't that right uh which is just available wherever you get podcasts mike is that correct Yes, our early warning podcast is uh, for subscribers only. So, yeah, if you want to subscribe, you'll get the report via email every day by 9 a.m. And then at noon, we record the podcast. And so people who, who don't want to read it can listen to it. Well, I know you're talking to Bubba and I on that one. All right, so, <laughs> and, uh, and and you can find out just about uh, everything you need to know there at forwardobserver.com. Mike, uh, thanks a lot uh, for uh uh, making time for us. I know that you are appearing on on a lot of different uh, platforms right now, and I appreciate you remembering uh, 
you know, the old Rick and Bubba here in Birmingham and coming on Rick and Bubba University. Thanks a lot for that today. Good to meet you, Mike. Yeah. Hey, I grew up with Rick and Bubba, so I listened to it every day. So I appreciate you all having me on. Hey, thank you. Did you forecast that we would be successful? Yes, I. From the moment I heard, I, I said those guys—they're going to make it big. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, thanks a lot. We appreciate you being with us. Thanks for what you're doing at FordObserver.com, and thanks to each and every one of you for being with us on this edition of Rick and Bubba University, the podcast. <laughs>